Have a seat and Cornerstone Kids can be dismissed. As the kids are leaving, I just want, are you headed down, Dave? So some of you know that Dave and Melissa, they're kind of sitting on opposite sides of the church today. I'm not sure why, if that means something. Anyway, they went to Uganda, and so uh, they get to go down. At least Dave's going to go down and share with the kids, and then next week we get to hear a report from them. Uh, people got saved. Yeah, pastors were trained. And you have to come back next week to hear about it. So there, okay? All right. So, last week, we, uh, we kind of kicked off a, an initiative, uh, uh, I hate to use the word campaign, initiative kind of sounds like what it is, uh, we call it Love Strong. It's our, it's our prayer, it's my prayer that this becomes not just uh, a bunch of sermons that we hear, not just some good truth from the scriptures, but more so that it would become who we are as a church that we would be a church that indeed loves strong. And so last week, maybe if you got here soon enough, you saw pictures from the barbecue and the praise night uh, running up here. It was a great time. I even got to go down the, the water slide and uh, totally embarrassed myself because I ended up at the bottom of that slide with my legs up in the air and water just all over me. But anyway, it was fun. Kids had a blast. We had a blast. And then we came up here last Saturday night and we, uh, not last night, but the week ago, and we just worshiped the Lord. And it was a great, great time. Last Sunday, we kicked off Love Strong. And I just want to ask you, how'd you do this week? Were you able to love strong? Were you able to find somebody that you could love this week? I, I, I just got a report on me and let you know that I did good and I did bad. <laughs> Early on in the week, I had an opportunity to love uh, a family and, and love strong. And it was one of those things where at first, I think I shared with you, I didn't really want to do it. And then I looked at this bracelet that says love strong on it. And I thought, oh yeah, Lord, I got to love strong. And so Tuesday, I was able to, to love on a whole family and, and, and just uh, encourage them and uphold them with prayers and with Scripture, and, and it was a great time. But last night, I blew it. Last night, I got into a situation where I felt very inadequate. I, very, I felt very insecure in that situation. And I kept telling myself, Lord, I know I'm secure in you. I know I'm significant because of you, and yet... I still did not love the way I should have loved last night. So I, I share that with you to let you know I'm in process, just like you are. We're all in process, and, and the Lord is so gracious and so kind, and He continues to bring opportunities in our lives where we can show the love of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we do great, <laughs> and other times maybe not so much. And so I want to remind you that as you have opportunity to love strong throughout the weeks and, and months ahead of us, there is a place on our website for you to go to and just jot down either how somebody has loved you well or how you've had an opportunity to love someone else well. 
And I did not let you know this last week, but let me make certain to you that those things do not go on the website. Some of you might be saying, I'm not going to write anything if everybody else can read it. That doesn't go on the website. It, it comes to me, and I get to incur- be encouraged with you and pray with you and enjoy uh, just hearing your testimony. And if I happen to share your testimony on a Sunday morning, it will first be with your approval, okay? I will not share anything that I first do not get approval from you on. But really, we're not doing that to build each, ourselves up, okay? We're doing that. We're sharing love strong stories to encourage one another, to, to help others go, oh yeah, you know what? I could love like that. I could, I could call somebody. I could do that for somebody. So we want to be an encouragement. And as Hebrews 10 says, we want to spur one another on toward love and good works, right? Toward love and good works. And so that's what that's for. So on the website, mcbc.com, you can go and you can uh, share your love strong story with the rest of us. Well, at least with me and then maybe with the rest of us, depending on where it goes. Last week we got to hear some testimonies, and, and uh, uh, we don't have any today, but I'm praying that next week we will, just to, to be encouraged and to continue to be motivated. But today I want to look at a passage of Scripture that, uh, that it's a passage that I, I told you I got to kind of soak in while we were on sabbatical. It's out of John chapter 13, and I, I got to soak in chapters 12 through about 19, 21, something like that, and, and I just kept reading, and I kept meditating, and, and John chapter 13 was one of those passages that, that kind of uh, hit me again all over. It, it, it struck me afresh, and, and I realized something. Because I want this morning us to consider chapters 13 of, of John all the way, verse 1 through verse 35. I know that's a lot, and we're not going to go into great detail in all of those verses. But if you're opening your Bible to John chapter 13, I'm going to ask you to look with me at the last two verses of this passage, verses 34 and 35. Probably very familiar verses to you if you've been in church a number of years You've probably heard these verses. I know I've referred to them as we have worked through this love strong uh, uh, concept. But in verse 34 of, of John chapter 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There are two thoughts here. In these two verses, we see two very, very, very important truths. Number one, when we love strong, we witness strong. Verse 35. People will know that we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ when we love one another well. When we strongly love one another, people in this community are going to go, what is going on there? Something's happening. And probably there will be some that will go, I want to be a part of that. I want to get in on that love kind of stuff. That's what I'm hungry for. I believe the world needs now is love, love, love. Right? How'd that old song go? I was just a tiny little infant when that song was uh, being sung, and so I don't remember it all that well. Wink, wink, wink. But it is true, and Jesus is the one who is love. 
And so we have the answer to everybody's desire, Jesus. But we need to love one another. It's a great witness. But verse 34 became one of those verses, while I was kind of just soaking in this, became a verse that I just, it kind of opened my eyes. You see, Jesus in verse 34 says, the way that you love strong is by following my example. Here's this new commandment, Jesus says, which is really not a new commandment. It's in the Old Testament to love your neighbor as yourself. That's that's an Old Testament command. But the new part of it, Jesus says, is to love one another as I have loved you. Now, my brain and, and the things that I heard growing up and the things that I learned meant when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, he's speaking about that next day when he's going to go die on the cross. And I always thought, okay, that's how he has loved us. And to be sure, that is the ultimate love, right? Jesus earlier says, you know, he, he, there's no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And, and he's laying down his life for his friends on the cross. But there's a problem that I kept having with that as the example. See, if I am to love like Christ loved, and the only example that I have of him loving is dying on the cross, to be honest with you, I can't relate to that. Can you? <laughs> I mean, I haven't been asked to die on the cross for my family. I, I'd die for my wife. I'd die for my family, I, I like to think at least. But I've not been asked to do that. So I can't really relate to dying on the cross and that kind of love. So the question I've always had is, what does it mean to live and love, right? Jesus died and showed love, but what does it mean for us to live in love? And then it, it dawned on me, verse 34 is in the past tense in the English. He says, love one another as I have loved, past tense, you. Are, are you with me? That was so good for me because it's like now I have something I can relate to. See, we are talking about loving strong. And it is no, it's really a true statement that Jesus is our example of what it means to love strong. But what we also need to know is it's not just about him dying on the cross. It's about him humbly serving his disciples. That's our example of love. And so I want to go back to verse 1 of chapter 13, and I want to take a look again at this passage that is incredible when you stop and think about who Jesus is and what he is doing here. So would you pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, we come and we recognize this morning that these things are are so grand. They're so magnificent to, to think about love, to think about who you are and how you have revealed love to us is an amazing, amazing thing. One that our our finite brains can't really totally grasp. And yet, Lord, at the same time, it's as simple as looking at what you did with your followers. And so, Lord, I I pray that our time here now would be a, a time in which you, by your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, instruct us, give us an understanding of what it looks like to love one another strong and to live instead of just die for each other. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. They were on a mission. 
a mission from the master. It was to be done in secret. In fact, everything at this point was done in secret. You see, the Pharisees were out to seize Jesus and to kill him. And soon enough, they they would do just that. But before they did, the master has a further, very important lesson to pass on to his followers. So he sends two of them out to prepare the Passover meal. (laughs) It had been a crazy few days. I mean, just at the beginning of the week, the disciples experienced something that they never imagined would happen in their lifetime. But in the course of the week, it has caused them to be on edge. The teacher hasn't been the same. His instruction toward them is a little more intense a little more serious as, as though he's given to them the, the last words that he would ever speak to them for that time. And he's been asking some strange things of them. <laughs> like, go steal a vehicle. Right? I mean, the first part of the week, the first day of the week, he says to two other disciples, go steal a vehicle. Okay, we're <laughs> not really a vehicle, right? It was more like a donkey. But that was their transportation, right? And Jesus says, you're going to go into Jerusalem, the busy, busy city that's getting ready for Passover, and I'm, there's a colt that's tied up there, hasn't been ridden at all yet, and I want you to take that colt and bring it back to me. So basically, he's asking them to donkey jack, right? I mean, isn't he? And, and what's funny is he says, okay, here's what you're going to tell the owner of that donkey if he catches you. And sure enough, the owner comes out and goes, hey, that's my colt. And they go, the master has need of it. And they run away, right? Weird things. Earlier the week, and, and now Jerusalem is, is filled Filled with people. This week of preparation for the Passover. It's population swelling 20 times the normal amount. People are everywhere. But even in the midst of so great a mass of people, they notice Jesus come riding in on that donkey, don't they? The Roman guards, even though they were quadrupled, somebody from the crowd on the first day of the week yelled out, Save now! Save now! Hosanna! That's what Hosanna means. Save now! You see, they were in Jerusalem celebrating a Passover feast. They were were celebrating this week. It It was a time when they remembered how God miraculously saved His people from what was back then the greatest empire in the world, the Egyptians. And now it's been about a thousand years that they have continued to be under oppression They've been under the oppression of the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Assyrians and and now the Romans and they are waiting, they are waiting, they're waiting once again for God to save them. And there have been rumors, there have been rumors of Messiah, right? There have been rumors of this Jesus of Nazareth who, who, who actually puts his hand into the pus of a leper and the man is healed. Somehow the molecules in his body is transformed and healing comes in and the man is healed. They've heard rumors of how he could, he could touch a lame man or, or look at a lame man and somehow the muscles all of a sudden get strong and the bones strengthen and, and he causes that man to walk. They've heard rumors of how he would just say and sickness would be gone. 
They even heard how his power, he had power over not only nature, but also over demons. And they were there celebrating Passover, remembering when they, their fathers had put the blood over the doorposts of the homes that night and how the death angel had passed over their homes and went to the homes of the Egyptians. How in the morning, the God's people, the Israelites, remained unscathed, but the firstborn of all the Egyptians lay dead. And they were celebrating Passover. And it seemed like an appropriate time for somebody just to shout out, Save now! Save now! And somebody does. And then across the way, somebody hears it. And they echo back, Save now! Save now! And then over here, somebody adds to it, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And pretty soon, the crowd is chanting, Save now! Save now! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And somebody else says, even the king of Israel. And this chant goes on and Jesus is on this colt going through Jerusalem. And the chanting is going on. Oh, the disciples remember that as a, a victorious day. But this day was way different. You see, four days had passed and the crowd had turned and now the master refuses to go out in public anymore. So he, he sent two of them to stand at the southern gate and to watch. And, and so they're leaning up against the brick wall as they watch and wait. Although the clue for finding the person they were to meet was an obvious one, nevertheless, they weren't used to this secret stuff, this cloak and dagger. The sign? <laughs> Oh, that's easy. It's somebody carrying a jar of water. <laughs> but there's a twist. A man carrying a jar of water. And so they go into the city, and they're watching and waiting. They're waiting and watching, and they see a jar of water, and they look. Oh, no, it's a woman. Oh, there goes a jar. No, it's another lady. There, no, that's a lady. And they watch, and they wait. That is until they finally see something very out of the ordinary. A man carrying a jar of water. And so they follow this man some 15, 20 people lengths back just to stay incognito and they watch him and they follow him and they, and they see him and he goes to this home, this magnificent home with this upper room and, and obviously it's the home of a very wealthy person for not many had upper rooms in those days. And they watch him go into the house so they snuck up the steps and they went to the door and they lightly tapped on the door. Somebody opened it and they said, is the master of the home, home here? And as the servant went and, and, and looked for the, the Lord of the home, they, they renewed their determination because the master had asked them of this, of this of them and they would follow his request. And when the, the master of the home came to the door, they said, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? <laughs> and he looks to the right and to the left and he goes, come here, follow me. And he takes them stealthily around the corner of the house to the steps that lead to the upper room. And they get up to the top and once they've snuck up to the door, he opens the door and he kind of shoves them in. And as he's closing the door, he says, don't worry, 
No one knows you're here, not even my servants. And he closes that door and he slips off into the grain evening. Later, Jesus comes with the rest and under the cloak of darkness. And, and Jesus enters into the room and he, and he sees the, the table there. And he, and he goes over and he selects a place at that table to recline at where he could watch the others come in the door. And sure enough, the first one comes in. He gets to the edge of the door. He stops. He looks into the corner of the room. Confusion falls on his face and he looks down and, and then he looks up and he sees the master sitting at the table and he, he rushes over. The teacher must have thought, Ugh, these guys, these wonderful beloved men of mine, soon they will be the men we will use to spread the good news throughout the world, but they still don't get it yet because one after one the disciples came into that door. They looked in the corner. Confusion. Looked down saw the master, and they scurried over to get one of the better seats next to the master. His heart must have, have broke, but he was about to teach them a lesson. Perhaps the greatest lesson he would ever teach them. Certainly the greatest lesson any of his followers could ever learn, for he would teach them about love. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, notice this statement, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. <laughs> he loved them. He loved them to the end. He loved them. He, their master, would now do something so unthinkable in that day. He would stoop and serve his students, his subordinates, his inferiors. But his example would become the new way of love. And when he was done teaching them by example this new way of love, that's when he said, I give you a new command. Love as I have loved you. Love as I have loved you. And we do well this morning, beloved, to think about how our Master, how the Lord of heaven and earth, how Jesus, our Messiah, teaches them to love. How did He love? How did Jesus love? Well, another interesting thing to me is that in verse 2 it says, during supper. During supper. Don't miss that. During Supper. The Passover meal had already begun before Jesus did this unthinkable act. See, it's upside down, right? This act that he is about to do should have been done before supper began. Should have been even before the food was served because of how yucky it is. But Jesus allowed the supper to be served and some point during the meal... Jesus shows them how to love. You see, he was alert to a negligence that had taken place. Something hadn't been done yet. And supper was beginning. But he also was aware of a betrayal. Notice what it says, verse 2. 
During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. See, there was this recognition. Jesus knew what was going on, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. He knew he was about to betray, be betrayed. He knew he was going to the cross the very next day. He knew all of this, but he knew he was going back to the Father. And guess what? He loved his own. He loved them even to the very end. It wasn't about him at this point. It was about them. He's concerned about them. And they're, they're sitting there, and I'm sure they're confused. They're thinking that we're, we're doing this wrong. But have you ever asked the question, why do they allow Jesus to do this unthinkable act? Why didn't one of them do it? I'll tell you why. It would make them look like a slave. They weren't a slave. They were one of Messiah's chosen twelve. And if they went over and if they started washing even their own feet, it would make them look like not just a slave, but the lowest of lowly slaves. We're going to call them a dung slave today. Just to make that image a little bit clearer. This was the lowest of lowest slaves, a dung slave, who was often there in the corner waiting to wash people's feet as they came into the house. Now you need to understand, their feet were gross. They wore flip-flops, right? I was wearing flip-flops yesterday and I was out changing the water in my yard and I walked in the, into an area that I had watered and it was kind of muddy and I got mud in my toes, it was horrible. Not quite as bad as these guys, though. You see, they would walk the roads, the dry, dusty roads, and it was hot, and they would sweat, and yeah, their feet would sweat. And the dust from the road would just kind of cling to their feet and turn into this muddy, crusty stuff. But even on top of that... They were walking on the very same roads that animals used for transportation walked. And animals don't care where they go potty, do they? We were at the 4th of July parade. Beautiful horse right there in front of us, just going by. Beautiful, majestic, strong, you know, horse. And all of a sudden, right in front of us, we watch as it lifts its tail and blop. Plop, and then yeah, just a bunch of plop. And my grandson, uh, Ryder, was just like, <gasps> I think he even said poop poo or something like that. He thought that was the funniest thing. But it sat there. There was no pooper scooper behind him. And so it sat there. And through the whole parade, we're sitting there watching cars go through this. And, and people who are walking don't see it because it's gotten flattened by the cars. And they walk through this. And, and you multiply that by a hundred times. And that's what the disciples walked through. It had only been a few short miles from Bethany into Jerusalem, but it was hot, it was dusty, and there was animal waste there. And each one, one by one, they knew what was right. They knew what should have been done. Their feet should have been washed before they go recline at the table to eat any meal, let alone the Passover meal. But they didn't want to become the dung slave. 
They didn't want to lower themselves. They didn't want to put themselves in that position. They didn't want anybody else to think lower of them than they already felt. And so they weren't about to do that. And so what is amazing is that Jesus the Master, the Teacher, the Rabbi, the One who is their, uh, their, their, their Lord, gets up from supper and He does this unthinkable thing. He, he takes off His tunic, his, his outer garment, the same one that later on Roman soldiers would roll dice for underneath His cross. He takes that off. And he goes to the corner of that upper room and he, and he grabs the basin and the water jar, perhaps the very same water jar that the servant was carrying when those two followed him to the house. And he goes over and what does he do? He humbly stoops down before each of his men. What? He humbly stoops down. Can't you hear the gasps and the whispers? What is Master doing? Why is he touching such hideous instruments? Wait, what? no, oh no, oh no, he can't. He shouldn't. And yet, one by one, each disciple sat there while Jesus washed their feet. You ever think about that? They all knew it was wrong. They all knew that he, the master, should not be doing this. That was relegated to the lowest of lowest dung slaves. And yet, here is Jesus doing it. And they sit there and they allow him to wash their feet. They know he is humbly stooping before each one of them. That is until Peter, right? Good old Peter. Silly, silly, not head Peter, right? Peter recognizes it. He's fully aware. And he... And he you know, he, he's this one who is, who, whose mouth works quicker than his brain, you know? And, and, he, and he says things, and he, and he wants to show Jesus his zeal, and he wants him to know how he recognizes that Jesus shouldn't be doing this. And so notice what the Scripture says. In verse 4, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the, wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Now, it's easy to understand why he would say that, right? Jesus was stooping so low, he was making himself to be that dung slave. And Peter didn't like that. And Peter, out of great zealousness for the master, says, No, you shouldn't be doing this, Jesus. He understands how humble, how much Jesus is stooping. How lowly he is making himself. Do you understand? See, he humbly stoops before them. And as he's doing it, he, he sacrificially serves. He humbly stoops so that he can sacrificially serve them. What was their need right now? clean feet. I mean, I can only imagine that the meal smelled really good. I mean, it must have smelled good, right? 
I don't know what it was, maybe lamb. I think it is lamb, right? Passover meal is lamb. And, and, and it, it was all the different spices and all the different things that they took at Passover meal. It must have smelled good, but I'll bet you could hardly smell the meat because of the feet, right? The feet overcame the meat, and it stunk to high heaven, and their greatest need was to have their foot, feet rather, washed. And so Jesus humbly stoops so that he can sacrificially serve his subordinates. The guys that are supposed to be learning from him. The guys who are supposed to be looking up to him. He makes himself a dung slave so that he can sacrificially serve. And, 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 and imagine this. He takes the water and he comes to each one and he pours it over their feet. And then he takes his hands and he washes their feet with his hands. These very same hands held little children on his lap. These, these very same hands were the ones that, that touched lepers and heals, healed them. These hands had picked up at one point his own spit and mud. Get this. Mixed it all together and put it on a blind man's eyes so that the blind man could see. These hands were the hands that hold the universe in place. These are the hands that in just a few hours are going to be put on the cross with spikes running through them. And these hands now are wiping off animal waste off of somebody's foot. Why? He knew what their need was. And he was willing to sacrificially serve them, to humble himself, to, to get down below them, and to serve them. I like to think that maybe Jesus was there, and the reason why Scripture says it was during supper that Jesus couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take the stench. And, and so just out of frustration, he gets up and washes, but I don't think that's it. He knew what he was doing. He knew the lesson he was teaching. He knew that he would say, just as I have humbly stooped, in order to sacrificially serve you, that's how you are to love one another. That's how you're to love one another. And Jesus gives just a, a little hint of what's to come when he continues to deal with Peter's issue here. Peter says, no, you can't wash me. And so Jesus in verse 8 says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. There goes Peter again, right? <laughs> in other words, I am so zealous for you. If not being washed by you in my feet means I don't have anything to do with you, then take all of me, right? I got to tell you, I think if I were one of the disciples there, I would just go, he's a kiss up, right? I mean, what's he doing? He's just kissing up to the boss. That's what he's doing. But Jesus makes this statement. Jesus goes on and says, verse 10, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. You are clean. Jesus says, you are clean. Here, dear beloved, is a, is a hint of what's to come. Because, you see, as Jesus is in that upper room, 
very relevantly describing, displaying, exemplifying what it means to love one another as he humbly stoops in order to sacrificially serve. As he does that, he also recognizes that that's what he's going to do on the cross. I wonder if that's the P-51. Anyway, sorry. Did I get sidetracked there? I love living by an air museum, don't you? It's so fun to see them fly. Anyway, I'm way off. Sorry. But Jesus is here giving a little hint of what's to come. See, at the cross, he is going to humbly stoop. He is going to stoop down. He is going to humble himself even to the point of death. Let me find it here. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8, or 6 through 8, Jesus, it speaks of Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus enjoyed the glory as God. He is God the Son, the second person of the one triune Godhead. But the Scripture says He stooped. He humbled Himself. He emptied Himself of that glory. He remained God, but He took on full humanity as well. And He stooped. He lowly. He he made Himself lowly even to the point of being a servant and being obedient to death. Death on a cross, the cruelest way. See, Jesus at the cross humbly stoops. But at the cross, it is the Master who sacrificially serves. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, listen, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus went to the cross sacrificing himself so that you and I can have that clean slate that we talked about a few weeks ago. He humbly stooped so that he could sacrificially serve us. You may say to me, Pastor, you know, Jesus never really washed my feet. (laughs) You know, he washed these, these 12 guys, but he didn't wash my feet. And I say to you, yes, he did. He washed your feet to the extent that your sins can be completely forgiven. Because he not just he doesn't just wash the stench and, and the animal waste and, and the sweat off your feet. He washes your heart clean from all transgression, from all iniquity, from all sin. And he does it not with the water in a water jar, but he did it with his own blood at his cross. He washes us clean. See, that's his love. He humbly stooped so that he could sacrificially serve us and give us a way for our sins to be completely washed away. Amen. Amen. And hallelujah. Because the Bible says you and I can't do a thing about our own sin. The Scripture describes us as being dead in our trespasses and sins, and a dead man can't do a thing. 
We're helpless. We're hopeless. But Jesus loved us so much that he humbly stoops in order to sacrificially serve, just like he did when he washed the disciples' feet. So here's the, here's the deal. Here's, here's what we need to go home with today. See, we've been talking about this statement, loved people love people. And it has been my prayer, my heart, desire, is that we would be a church that loves strong because we realize how strongly we are loved by God. And I, and I hope this morning that as we've looked at this and as, as we've considered the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what He's done there for us and how He's exemplified love toward us, I hope that you will leave today recognizing you are loved. Not, not by any other human being, because they will fail you. The, the truth is, to be loved by somebody here on earth, they're going to fail you. Oh, I'm sorry, it's true. Mona and I have been married 32 years, almost. And, and, and I failed her at times in our marriage. And that's why the good thing about Jesus is he never fails us with his love. His love is lavished on us moment by moment by moment by moment. And what we got to do is get rid of the umbrellas, right? Get rid of the umbrellas that keep his love from falling down on us, those things that get in the way. We got to get rid of those things. We got we to take away those, get, get, get them out of the way so his love can just be lavished on us. And then when that takes place, we can love like the master. And my prayer today is that you will leave today ready to love like the master. See, the master humbly stooped in order to sacrificially serve. And that's our call. Isn't that what Jesus says in the, uh, toward the end of this chapter? Actually, in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Jesus says, it's true. I'm Lord. I'm teacher. I'm master. I'm the ruler. It's true. But he goes on to say, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then you get to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. But here's the new part. Love one another as I have loved. Past tense. You, as I have humbly stooped to sacrificially serve you in washing your feet, you do that to one another. You love like the Master. Love like the Master. Hey, beloved, we who are in Christ need to love like the Master. So how do we do that? How can you and I love like the master? Because that's what we need to do today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a list. And this is, just, this is not an exhausted list by any means. There might be some things that the Holy Spirit places on your heart, ways that you can love outside this list. But I want to get you a list here so that you start thinking about how even this week you could love like the master, okay? Because here's my challenge. As we leave here today... 
Let us, yes, go in the love of Christ. Let us go rejoicing, celebrating how he has loved us and continues to lavish his love on us. Let's go rejoicing. But I also encourage us, let's pick one thing. One thing that we can do this week to somebody in this church family or another brother and sister in another church family that would show love to them like the Master. One thing. And perhaps that one thing is from this list. Maybe it is giving a warm greeting at church, including an appropriate hug. Now the Scripture says to give a holy kiss, but in our culture that probably doesn't work so well unless you really know that person and, and it's okay. But, but give, a, give a warm welcome maybe at church. Maybe that's a way you can love. Maybe it's sending notes of encouragement and appreciation. Maybe it's noticing people at church who you don't normally associate with and learn about them. Go talk to them. Go find out who they are and, and what they're like. Leave your own little group that you're normally with. Maybe it's looking around to see who's alone at church and slipping out of your seat and going and sitting by them just to make them not alone. Maybe it's, maybe it's cleaning somebody's house. Maybe it's taking them to the doctor or delivering groceries to them. Maybe it's making them a meal. Or maybe it's somebody with kids and you say, I am going to babysit for them free of charge so that they can go out on a date night. Where's my young families here? I would hopefully I'd hear an amen from my young families. Right? Maybe it's giving free babysitting. Maybe it's a Costco run for somebody that needs something. Maybe it's weeding around their yard or mowing their lawn or doing yard work or gardening or, or flowers. Maybe it's working on their car or helping them with a project that's going on on their home or helping them with their computer. If you're 10 years old, you can help anybody on a computer, right? Who's older, like me. So maybe it's helping them with the computer. Maybe it's ironing shirts for them. My mother-in-law does that for me, and I love it. It's awesome. Anyway, uh, visiting those who aren't able to make it to church anymore. Maybe it's coming on Sunday morning and having your house cleaned and dinner ready to go and inviting somebody to your house after church. Maybe somebody you don't know and normally associate with. Maybe it's taking somebody a, a coffee or a peanut buster parfait. You know where my office is, right? Okay. Maybe it's just being available to talk, being a listening ear. And listen, here's the key on this, and not talking about yourself. Maybe it's being a listening ear. Maybe it's asking someone for forgiveness. It's getting a little deeper, isn't it? Asking them to forgive you, going to them. Or maybe it's just, just say, this week I'm going to keep a watchful eye and open ears, and I'm going to look for those that I can show love to in even small ways. See, our Master humbly stooped to sacrificially serve. And we're called to love like the Master. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize that you and only you are the source of such love. That what you exemplify in front of the disciples, you also empower them to do. And, and I recognize that this morning, that I am unable in my own strength, in my own power, to love like you love. 
And I'm sure that, I know that's true of everyone else in this place. So I pray, Father, that we would first and foremost come to you today. And Lord, if there's anybody in this place who has never put their faith, their trust in Jesus and his cleansing, shedding, shedded blood on that cross for their sins, I, I pray that today would be the day. And dear friend, if that's you, it just means you open up your heart to him and say, I believe my sins have separated me from God. I believe Jesus died for me, though, shedding his blood for my forgiveness, and I invite him to be my Savior. You can do that right now. And Father, there are those in this place who, who have done that, but Lord, we're, we're not showing a, a strong witness because we're not loving one another well, maybe. And I pray that you would put it on our hearts right now. That you would just give each one in this place who knows Christ as their Savior just one thing that we can do this week to love like you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.